God bless you. This is Pastor Gavin Taylor, and I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. It is my prayer that you will enjoy this message. May God richly bless you, and I want you to never forget you are blessed and you can't be cursed. So Numbers chapter 33, verses 50 through 56. Now, again, you know, we got we to gotta deal with enemies so that they, don't, they do not destroy our success. You know, see, God has a promised land for each and one, every one of us. And if you don't kick the former inhabitants out, they will become a snare to you when you're in your good land, you know, and it won't allow you to stay in it. So in Numbers chapter 33, verses 50 through 56, it says, And the Lord said to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, he said, Tell the Israelites, when you have passed over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, which is the promised land, he said, Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. And it says, you need to destroy all their figured stones, all their molten images, and completely demolish all their idolatrous high places. And he says, and you shall take possession of the land and dwell in it. For to you I have given the land to possess it. He goes on to say, you shall inherit the land by lot according to your families. To the large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance. To the small tribe you shall give a smaller one. And he says, wherever the lots fall to any man, that shall be his. According to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit it. Now, this is what I want to get to. He says, but if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those that you let remain, I want you to understand that. Those that you let remain, I'm not going to let them remain. Those that you let to remain. He says, I'm telling you to drive it out. But the ones that you let remain, shall be pricks in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and he says, and they shall vex you in the land which you dwell. And he says, and as I thought to do to them, so I will do to you, right? And then, um, and let me just give you one more scripture, and then I'll get into this. In Ephesians chapter 4, 26 through 27, you know, the Bible says, be ye angry and sin not, right? Amen. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, this is the key. Neither give place to the devil. See, don't, don't give a place to the devil. Don't, don't give the, do- the devil a do- an open door to get into your life. Don't, don't allow him to be able to crawl in through windows in your life. You know, I had this, I had this dream. And, um, you know, I, had this, and, you know I, I know when I remember a dream that, that God is speaking to me about something, right? And, um, you know, and God has given me the gift to interpret dreams and stuff like that. But bottom line is, you know, I had this dream. And it was like this, this, I saw this, this demonic thing that was running, you know, like outside my window, like, and it was running, you know, and then it got up to the window and it was trying to get in, right? And it was as if like a part of like this like robe thing that he had on, which had kind of like got into like a crack. And I said, in the name of Jesus, go, right? You know, and I just, I kept, you know, I kept, I said, I said, go in Jesus' name, right? And then that thing took off. And he says, see, the enemy was trying to, is trying to get in. He said, don't give him a place. Don't give him any kind of room. See, because he says, you know, once God really starts blessing you and stuff like that, the devil will try to get in and try to, to, to try to, you know, tear down what God is trying to do in your life. And I saw that thing, man, and, then, and so I saw it, and then I said, in the name of Jesus, go, right? And I had to, and I had to say it a couple of times. It, it, it didn't go immediately. 
I had to say that thing several times, but then I kept saying it, and that thing took off. So you can't, you can't, you can't play around with the devil. You know, we tell people, you know, if you invite the devil for lunch, he'll bring his pajamas. See, the devil is trying to get a place in your life, and when he comes, he's trying to stay. You know, and he's trying to find any kind of place he can get in. And that little, like, garment piece, like, it was thin and just, like, it, it kind of just, got, you know, tried to squeeze in a little bit through the crack, you know? I was like, wow, man, I just, crazy, man. But that's how the devil is, man. And if you, and if you just sit there and you don't say nothing, eventually he'll get in. You got to tell the devil to go. You can't allow him to stay. He says, see, don't give a place to the devil. And I put here, you know, when Israel, bottom line is this, when Israel was about to take possession of the promised land, see, God told them to kick out every enemy out of that promised land. And he was supposed to drive out all the inhabitants, destroy all of their stones and their images, every false, uh, you know, idol that they had, everything that they were worshiping. And the reason for that was because God didn't want that to be a temptation to them. And God told him to do this, again, because if anything remained from the former inhabitants, it would cause them to fall into sin and miss out on all the benefits and blessings that God had stored up for them. And see, God specifically said, anything that remained would be pricks in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and they would vex you in the land that you dwell. And I'm going to go over what those things mean. In other words, anything that was allowed to remain would be an enemy to their success because it would be a point of entry for the devil to get in. That's why the Bible says don't give the devil a place or any entry point into your life. See, when he tries to come in, see, he's coming for one purpose. You know, he has an agenda. And the Bible says in John 10:10, 10, 10, it says, the thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and to destroy. See, when he comes, he's coming to destroy your life. See, he, he tempts you with sin like it's going to be a good thing. <laughs> but, but see, the Bible says that the pleasures of sin can only last for a season. And so because if sin wasn't pleasurable, nobody would do it. But it only lasts for a season. You know, it's only good for a little while. See, some, you know, some people start taking drugs and stuff like that. When you first start taking drugs, it feels good. You know what I'm saying? But if you let that thing get a hold of you. I mean, you rob your mother, you know, you'll, you'll kill people, you know, you'll do all kinds of stuff to get it. Sell your body. I remember this young girl, you know, I went to school with, you know, she was beautiful in high school. Everybody was trying to get with her, you know. She got addicted. And I saw her out on the street selling her body. I was like, and she was shriveled up. I couldn't believe it, man. But, but see that? See, it was when she first took that first hit, I'm sure it felt real good. A couple more times felt real good, you know. That, then that thing got a hold of her. See, the pleasures of sin can only last for a season. And once the devil gets a hold of you, he, he's trying to steal from you. He wants to destroy your life and ultimately kill you. That's why you can't give the devil a place. So he says those things that you will let remain. Number one, he said, there will be pricks in your eyes. Now, a prick in your eye, right, talks about, of course, putting out your vision. Now, Matthew 15, 14, it says, Jesus says to them, leave them alone. 
He says they are blind guides leading blind followers. And he says, and if a blind man leads a blind man, both of them will fall into a pit. See, if you, if you allow the devil, if you allow the enemy to stay, it'll become a prick in your eye, put out your vision. And what the penalty for having no vision is a great fall. See, the devil is trying to trip you up. So again, pricks in your eyes, they will cloud or they will put out your vision. And again, the penalty is having a great fall. A prick in your eye will cause you to be blinded to what God has for you and what he's called you to do. The devil wants to put out your eyesight. He doesn't want you to be able to spiritually see clearly. He wants you to stumble and fall into sin. He also doesn't want you to know where you're going in life. See, if he can cloud your vision, he can rob you of direction. And direction is one of the most important things to have in life. If you don't have direction, you, walk, you go around life lost. You ever been lost before? I hate being lost, man. It's the worst feeling in the world. I think the greatest, one of the greatest creations ever made was the GPS. <laughs> it's my best friend, man. <laughs> I was so bad with directions, you know. I had a before I had a GPS, I had a best friend. <laughs> and that guy, man, if he if he'd been someplace one time, he could get you back there. I mean, some was he just had good direction, he just knew how to get around. But I had such bad direction, man. I just couldn't get. But, you know, I got that GPS. I was like, thank you, Jesus, you know. Before that, I had, we had the map quest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we driving the car, trying to look, look, at the, look at the directions. But it's the worst feeling in the world when you're lost. But, you know, a lot of people, you know, not, not just lost trying to get to a destination in their car. They're lost in life. And there's nothing worse than that. And see, if the devil can put a prick in your eye, he can cause you to lose direction. And if you lose direction, you don't know, we won't know where you're going. Without direction, you'll just be wandering around, lost in life. But God wants you and I to see clearly. He wants you to know where you're going. But if you don't get rid of the enemy, they will become a prick in your eye. And it will put out your spiritual eyesight. So you got, you got to get rid of every enemy. Anything that will hinder you from succeeding. So that's number one. He said it's going to be, if you let him stay, you let the enemy stay, it's going to be a prick in your eye. Number two, he said it's going to be a thorn in your side. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, it says this. Now, this is right after... You know, the fall of man, right? Adam and Eve, they just ate the fruit. Whatever fruit that was, they ate it from the, the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. And their eyes were open, and God began to, he, start, he started dealing with everybody. You know, he started handing out the curses. You know, mankind was cursed. The woman was cursed. He cursed the devil. Everybody got cursed that day. And it says, and unto Adam, he said, because you have hearkened unto your wife. See, listening to your wife is not always a bad thing. <laughs> but, in, but it's trying to cause you to sin. <laughs> and, although, and if your husband tried to get you to sin. <laughs> but bottom line is, he says to Adam, because you listened to your wife. And you have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, saying, I shall not eat of it. 
Listen to this. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Now, I want you to hear this. In sorrow, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Now, this is what I want to get to. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to you. See, the thorn. The thorn speaks of the curse. And you shall eat the herb of the field. And he said, and in the sweat of your face, you'll eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For dust thou art, and unto the dust you will return. Now, a couple of things here. First of all, he said, it's going to be a thorn in your side. Now, a person's side in the scriptures, right, is around, is around the hip area, right? And it speaks of physical strength. That's what it speaks of, your side. A thorn in the side disables a person and zaps their spiritual strength. Thorns also spoke of the curse. When Adam sinned in the garden, God cursed the ground with thorns, right? So when God cursed the ground, the thorns spoke of working hard and not being able to produce enough to satisfy. Because before, you know, when, when they were in the garden, it just, it just brought up fruit. There was no weeds and thorns and stuff like that. It just brought fruit. But God cursed it for man's sake. And now when he was working, see, he didn't have to work that hard before. I mean, he didn't even have to water the ground. The Bible says that, that God caused, from a, it hadn't rained yet on the earth. He caused a mist to come up from the ground, and it watered everything. I mean, you know, he was like, he was in paradise. After the fall, the earth brought forth thorns and thistles, which made it difficult to produce fruit. And I put here, if you don't get rid of enemies in your promised land, it will cause you to not be able to reap the blessings of God. You'll work hard, but you'll end up with thorns. No fruit, just a curse. So you got to put these things out, man. You know, see, that's why you start letting the devil in. And he'll start cursing, you know, he'll, he'll put a curse on your production. Here you are trying to work. You're working hard, you know. And God started talking about, see, when you don't give. He said, you'll, you, you'll, you'll, put, you'll, put, uh, you'll put money into a pocket that has holes in it. And they'll just start going out. All right, you guys don't look happy with my message today. <laughs> but I'm going to keep on going. So he said, you know, it's going to be a prick in your eye, thorn in your side. And then finally he said, it's going to vex you. Right now, to vex means to torment and to trouble you. Any enemy that you don't allow to remain will be a constant source of problems for you. That's why you got to put out everything that's not good for you. They will cause nothing but trouble in your life. You'll miss out on the blessings of God and find yourself and a world of hurt and confusion. See, that's what a lot of people have experienced by letting the wrong people in their life. Wrong people come into their life, and they're bringing their problems with them. I always talk about the fact that you have to, you have to get rid of a lot, and you have to throw Jonah overboard. <laughs> a lot of people let a Jonah in their life, and Jonah's coming with problems. You know, the devil, the, I mean, God is after him because of what he's done, and now he comes into your, your life, and he's bringing his problems with him. And see, for a while, if you read the story, they're really trying not to throw Jonah overboard. 
I mean, they're like, you know, I mean, they're, real, they're fighting, but they're not moving. I mean, they're trying to get out of the problems that they were in. They were in this raging storm, but as long as they had Jonah on the boat, that storm wouldn't stop. And they fought, and they did everything that they could. Finally, they had to throw Jonah overboard. The moment they threw his butt in that water, the storm stopped for them. <laughs> and some of you, when you get rid of that person, the storm that you've been experiencing, because you need to understand something, it's not your storm. See, it's Jonah's storm. So when you let Jonah in your house, he bring in the storm. The only way to stop it, you can't pray it off. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't do anything to get it off but get Jonah out. But some of you say, I love, I love him, you know. I love her, you know. And all, all the while, they're in your house causing all kinds of problems. You got to put that, every, anything that's an enemy, you got to get it out. Best, best thing you can do for Jonah is put him out and pray for him. <laughs> Giving him refuge is not helping him or you. All right, let me keep on going. So now later, we find out that Israel, they don't drive out all of the inhabitants of the land. God told them before they got in there, destroy everything, get everything out of there. But they let some of the inhabitants stay. At first, everything was all right. You know, the enemy was serving them and stuff like that. But little by little, these enemies began to influence the Israelites into practicing sin. And this caused Israel to lose the grip that they had on the promised land. And eventually, they were led back into slavery. The same people that they were supposed to put out, they became slaves to. That just goes to show us that whatever you don't conquer, it will conquer you. Whatever you don't deal with, it'll deal with you. You let the enemy in, eventually he'll take your house over. You, you, know, you know, I'm going to get into this in a, in a little bit, but, you know, some people open the door just a little bit to fear. You know, when the coronavirus came, it was open just a little bit. And he came in, then it just conquered them house, took over everything. All right, let me, let me, let me keep on moving here. Now, let's talk about, let's talk about what needs to go. You know what, first before we go there, let's talk about, I want to talk about this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And um, before I get into what I want to get into, I want to, I want to just kind of, I want to show you this. Now, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 14, it says that now we have not received the spirit that belongs to the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God. See, the, world, the spirit that's in the world is a demonic spirit, right? Because the, the Bible says that the, the, the devil, he's the god of this world, the little g, false god of this world, right? He's, he's in charge of this world system. And it says, we have not received that spirit that belongs to the world, 
but the Holy Spirit who is from God. And it says um, that we might realize and comprehend and appreciate the gifts bestowed on us by God. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. And it says here, and this is what I want to get to, we are setting these truths forth in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's what I want to get to. Combining and interpreting spiritual truths with spiritual language to those who possess the Holy Spirit. Now, first thing I want to let you know is, see, the, book, this, the Bible is not a book that can be comprehended with the natural mind. And that's why people try to read it and they try to come up with these things. But see, they're not, see, the whole, only a Holy Spirit can breathe revelation on the word of God. Only he can explain to you what the scripture, that's why when you pick up the word of God, you should pray before, every time you start reading. You shouldn't just pick it up and start trying to intellectualize it. You have to ask God for, for wisdom. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand what you're reading. And see, this is, is in, in order for you to understand the scriptures, what's really important is for you to understand spiritual language. And, and um, really, that's the key to understanding dreams, right? Spirit, understanding spiritual language. Now, he says this, right? He says, we are setting these truths forth in words that's not taught by human wisdom, but by the Holy Spirit. Combining and interpreting spiritual truths with spiritual language to those who possess the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, but the natural, non-spiritual man does not accept or welcome or admit into his heart the teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God. For they are folly or they are nonsense to him. That's why when you try to tell people about the Bible, they're like, that's crazy, man. What are you talking about, man? You know, they, you know, it doesn't make sense to the natural mind. You know, anything that I tell you that God says doesn't make sense to the natural mind. You know, that when I tell you, well, you know, you need to give your tithes and offerings, right? That don't make no sense to the natural mind. <laughs> you know, I had the same hang up. Everybody had with tithes and offerings when they first came to, came to God. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I ain't giving nobody my money. You know, like, I mean, that's, that's the natural mind. It's like, are you crazy? I'm not giving no money here, <laughs> you know? Because that's the natural mind. You know, we, we, when, you, when you're thinking with your natural mind, that the natural, the things of God are foolishness to you. I don't forgive my enemies. I want to slap them. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, that doesn't make sense to me, you know. Not, nothing that God says, it begins to make sense with you in these scriptures. But you have to be able to understand what the scriptures are saying with the spiritual mind and not a natural one. So he says, see, these things are nonsense to them and the bible says he is incapable of knowing them and becoming better acquainted with them because they are spiritually discerned in their understanding they 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 they, they won't be able to comprehend it unless the holy spirit reveals it to them and neither are you again you just can't pick up the word of god and, and read it like it's a novel <laughs> like it's a thriller or something like that you know like you can't intellectualize it you got to ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I wanna, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because I want to show you something. And um, I put here, see, one of the keys to understanding the Bible is understanding the use of spiritual and symbolic language in the Bible. Right? Every name, number, and object, particularly in the Old Testament, was extremely significant. Everything. In order for you to understand the Bible, you must learn how to decipher the symbolic language of the Bible. For example... Gold in the Bible, it represents divinity or God's divine nature, right? While silver represents redemption 
Brass represents judgment. Right? So you see a couple of things. I'll give you an example. Right? The, when you first walk into the when you first walk into the tabernacle, right, you go through the gate, and right in front of you, there is the brazen altar, which is where animal sacrifices were put in. This brazen altar was made of, was made of brass, which spoke of God's judgment on sin. And Jesus paid that price, right? He was the lamb that was slaughtered, right? So he is the lamb that's, 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 being, that's on that brazen altar. So it was overlaid in brass, but then it was made, then inside of it was wood, which spoke of the flesh. So it was God's judgment, divine judgment, on the flesh, right? On the man. And, and Jesus paid that price in the flesh for us. So that, and then, you know, thing, so when, when Goliath shows up, everything that he has on is made of brass. His, his coat of mail was made of brass. His shield, everything was made of, his helmet, everything was made of brass, which spoke of he was trying to come and, and be a, a judgment on Israel. So that's there's, there's just a little bit of symbolic language, right? Now, oil, water, fire, they're all symbols of the Holy Spirit. Water can also be symbolic of the word of God. Incense is symbolic of prayer. Wood, again, is symbolic of the flesh. And I talked about, you know, the Ark of the Covenant was made of acacia wood, right, which speaks of Christ being 100% man. And it was overlaid with gold, which speaks of the fact that Christ was 100% God. <laughs> also, acacia wood was considered to be incorruptible wood, which meant that it cannot be penetrated with rot or decay. This speaks of Christ's sinless life. Because sin was not able to penetrate him. Now, again, I'm going somewhere with this. I know everybody's like, what's he talking about? <laughs> but I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm getting somewhere, I promise you. <laughs> now, sticking with this theme, all of these things that, that, that God told Israel to put out, they all had a, not just a natural, but a spiritual significance. Okay, everything that he said drive out, that was all very symbolic. So now as we are in that theme, now I want to I wanna start teaching you something. You ready to learn a little bit of something? Okay. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Now he says, When the Lord thy God shall bring you to the land whither thou goest to possess it, and thou hast cast out many nations before thee. Now see, every nation was symbolic of something in the spirit. He said, you're going to cast out the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations greater and mightier than you are. So these were all of the people that were living in the land of Canaan, all of the different nations. But again, they all had a spiritual significance, not just a natural one. And he says, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver you before them, he says, thou shalt smite them. Utterly destroy them. Thou shalt not make any covenant or agreement with them. And you shall not show any mercy to them. Neither shall you make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not be given to your son, right? Nor, thy, nor your sons, nor his sons, thou shalt take for your son. For they shall turn your son away from following me. But they may, that they may serve other gods. And he says, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. 
And then I'll read one more scripture, and then I'm going to get into this. You guys ready? Deuteronomy 20, 17 through 18. And he says, but thou shalt utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Parasite, the Hittite, and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that they will not teach you to act in accordance with all the detestable practice which they have done in worship and service for their gods. And in this way, cause you to sin against the Lord your God. All right. So now you ready? Again, every single inhabitant had a spiritual significance. So number one, the Hittites. Now, the Hittites in the Hebrew, this is what the word means. It means to prostrate. Hence, to break down, either by violence or by confusion and fear. It means to abolish, to affright. It means to make afraid. It means to beat down. It means to discourage. Therefore, the Hittites represent, one, a spirit of fear. Right? And I put it in order for you to possess your possession, the spirit of fear has to be removed. You got to put fear out. Fear cannot dwell in the same place as a Christian. Fear is paralyzing and crippling. Fear will stop you from pursuing your dreams. And I've always said this before, but fear works like faith, faith in the opposite, right? It, it has a magnetic quality that begins to draw to you the thing that you're fearing. Now, remember I said, you know, people have opened the door a little bit to fear, and it came in and just took over. And I always say this, but, you know, Job 325, right? Job, the Bible says concerning Job after he, see, uh, he, he lost everything he had, and the Bible says that he got attacked in his physical body, and what he said was, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid has come unto me, or it has been drawn to me. See, when you begin to fear things, you begin to summons it to you. See, again, it works like faith. Faith, when you start believing God for something, you'll begin to summons it to you. It'll begin to come to you if you're believing God for it. But if you start fearing something, the devil will try to put it on you. It'll begin to, it'll start coming towards you. That thing. He said, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. You start, you start allowing the devil to put fear on you. He'll try to draw to you that thing you're worried about. Well, you know, my mother had this, so I'll probably have it too. You'll start drawing that thing to you. <laughs> You'll start pulling that thing to you, man. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given me the spirit of fear, right, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. So again, I always say, if, the, if God didn't give it to me, I don't want it. And also, if God didn't give it to me, then it's obvious that the devil tried to give it to me. And I don't want anything the devil has to give me. So, that, so these people, the Hittites, they represent a spirit of fear. Now, but that's number one, but they also represent a spirit of discouragement. And see, one of the greatest attacks that the enemy tries to overcome us with is discouragement. Discouragement is defined as a loss of confidence, faith, or enthusiasm. It occurs when what you're attempting to do becomes difficult and begins to look impossible for you. The devil will use difficult situations, setbacks, and disappointment to discourage you. The ultimate purpose of it is to get you to quit. 
See, if the devil can discourage you, he'll try to tell you, you might, you're wasting your time. What are you praying for, man? You're wasting your time. What are you giving for, man? You're wasting your time. You know, what are you going to that church for, man? You're wasting your time. What are you, what are you, you know, what are you trying to be successful for? What are you going to school for? What are you trying to be better in life for? You know, you're just wasting your time. See, if, if, he, can, if he can cause you to be set back just a little bit. See, one thing I learned about God is this. Anything that I do for God, the devil's going to try to fight me tooth and toenail for it. Anything. Anything that I try to accomplish that God has put his seal on, the devil's going to fight me tooth and toenail for it. I've never, you know, gotten anything without a fight. I've always had to fight for it. I mean, nothing has come easy. And see, the reason why it's not easy is because the devil is trying to discourage you. But I'll tell you another thing. Anything that I stayed in, I I stuck with, I got it. Anything that I held on for, even though I was was going through and I was fighting and I was being uh, attacked and stuff like that, if I stay with it, I got my hands on it. And see, that's what you have to do. You have to overcome the spirit of discouragement. You can't allow the enemy to put discouragement on you because he'll cause you to quit. See, you know, another scripture, you know, he says, you know, be not deceived. God is not mocked, right? For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Right? You skip down, he says, and be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you will reap if and only if you don't faint. See, the enemy knows that the only thing that can stop you from receiving what God has for you is you quitting. The devil cannot stop you from getting anything. He can try to put a roadblock in your path. You know, he can try to, you know, fight you for it. He can try to discourage you, but he cannot stop you. The only thing that will stop you is you quitting. In due season, when it's the right time, you will reap if you don't faint. And Jesus says this, he says, he says, men ought always to pray and never quit, never faint, always, never give up. And then he gives you a, and he gives a parable and he says, there was a judge who didn't care anything about God, cared nothing about man. And he says that this woman, widow woman came to him and she was begging for justice. And he said he wouldn't do it for a while. He said, but she kept coming to him. And he says that, you know, he said, though I don't, this is what the judge says. He says, though I don't fear God. And he says, I don't have any regard for man. Yet because this woman just keeps coming, she's wearing me down. I'm going to give her the justice that she's looking for. (laughs) And then Jesus says, look what the unjust judge says. And he says, well, not the just judge then. You know, the God of heaven and earth, the one that that will do for his people that's crying out to him day and night. And that's why the Bible says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open for you. Right? You don't, you don't just stop, just ask one time. You know, you don't just seek one time. You don't just knock one time. You keep on until you, until you get uh, grab hold of it. See, what discouragement will tell you, you're wasting your time. Stop asking. Stop seeking God. Stop knocking. Hey, you're wasting your time, man. But I'm telling you, if you'll you'll be persistent 
See, it is the persistent person that receives blessings from God. Not someone that does it every once in a while. You know, I give every once in a while. <laughs> you know, I pray when I feel like it. I pick up the scriptures, you know, you know, when I think about it, you know. It's the consistent person, the persistent person that receives from God. And so, see, these Hittites, man, they try to loose a spirit of fear on you, and they try to discourage you. All right, let me move on. Can you say amen? All right. Now, number two was the Girgashites. Now, in the Hebrew, it means this. It means to dwell on clayey soil. Wow, right? To dwell on clay soil. Now, clay, if you look in the, uh, in the dictionary, is defined as the human body, especially as distinguished from the spirit or the soul. It's speaking specifically about the flesh. Therefore, the Girgashites are symbolic of the flesh. It speaks of a life that's dominated by the flesh. It speaks of the flesh in full manifestation. It speaks of the carnal man who is also carnally minded. Now, in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 to 8, it says, For to be carnally minded is death. It goes on to say, But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But the carnal mind is enmity against God, or it is an enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they are in the flesh they can't please God. I'll give you one more scripture. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, it begins to start speaking about what the works of the flesh are. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now these are the works of the flesh, or the fruit that the flesh produces. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, which is, of course, the worship of other gods, witchcraft, hatred. Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies, right? Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. Now, this is what I wanted to get to. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're living in the flesh, you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. If you're living in the flesh... You are not going to be, you know, walking and being satisfied in your good land. You cannot live like the devil. See, the, the, the flesh and the, and the devil are in cahoots. The flesh is the part of you that's not saved. Now, you know, have you ever heard, you know, an old church used to say, say you're saved, you're being saved, and you're yet to be saved? What that means is this. When you give your life to Jesus, the only part of you that gets saved is your spirit. You get reconnected to God. You're, you're spiritually connected, right? So you're, you're born again in your spirit, man. But your, your soul is not saved. It's being saved. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's being saved, right? It's being saved as you begin to do spiritual things, right? You begin to learn the word of God. You begin to read it. You begin to come to church. And, you know, you do those things, and then slowly your soul goes through a process of salvation. We're all in that process. Your flesh is the part of you that is not saved. It is in cahoots with the devil. You know, it's the flesh part of you that wants to sin. That's where you're tempted at. 
Your flesh wants to do those things. Your, your flesh wants to have sex. Your, your, your flesh wants to, you know, do all of the drinking and smoking and drugging and all that stuff. That's what your flesh wants to do. The spirit man is after God. The flesh man is after this world. And then your soul is in between. And whoever your soul sides with will be the part of you that'll win. So you know you're laying in the bed, right? And you're like, I don't feel like getting up. See, the voice of your flesh is his feelings. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading the word of God. I don't feel like praying. Your flesh will never feel like doing anything that's godly. It'll only feel like sinning. That's it. And the Bible says that the only thing that you can do with your flesh is put it under. It will never willingly serve God. You have to make it or force it to serve God. It won't just do it. And when you're able to put it under, that's when you'll gain real victory in your life. And he, and he, see, he says, you know, if you allow your flesh to run wild, you, you will not be living long in that good land. You'll wind up being dragged out yourself if you let your flesh run wild. Doing the things that your flesh wants you to do. In other words, you got to stay holy. Not perfect. But you got to live right. So that's number two. You got to get rid of the Gergeshites. Or you got to put down the flesh. And then number three was... The Amorites. Are you guys getting something out of this? You sure, am I wasting my time with this message? All right. Okay. So number three was the Amorites. Now that word means to boast self. A sayer. Right? Therefore the Amorites, it represents a spirit of pride. And see, if you allow a spirit of pride to live in you, you'll be brought low. See, it means to boast self. Now, Psalms 10, 4, it says, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. In Proverbs 16, 18, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And in Proverbs 29, 23, it says, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. See, this is, see, I want you to understand this. See, this was one of the first things that God told them before they entered into the promised land. He says, once you have built goodly houses, and once you have, you know, you have houses you didn't build, vineyards that you didn't plant, you know, and I'm blessing you and everything, you know, you have everything that your heart desires. He says, then you'll lift up yourself, and you'll say, by my might and my power, I've obtained this wealth. See, that's pride. My might, my power. And God says, but you shall remember, it is me who has given you the power to get wealth. See, you know, you think that, oh, it's my, you know, I'm smart, you know. I'm industrious. I'm strong, you know. You know, I'm hardworking, you know. That's why I don't need nobody else. It's, I can do it myself, you know. But you don't know that if God didn't breathe the breath of life into your lungs, you wouldn't be able to get up out the bed. <laughs> Every single gift that you have is exactly that, a gift. It is something that you didn't work for, you didn't earn. 
is something that God has given you. And now you can take that gift and begin to, to, to enhance it, right? You can build on that gift, but you have, been, you have been gifted by God in a particular area. And now you can take that gift and do what you want with it because God is not an Indian giver. He won't take it back from you. You know, but don't think that it's you that produced that. We can produce nothing by ourselves. And he says, see, if you get in that good land and you start operating in pride, it'll bring you low. It'll, your, your butt will be kicked right out of the promised land if you think that it was all about you. And I put here, see, pride is a deep pleasure. Or, see, I like that. Pride is a deep pleasure or satisfaction for one's own accomplishments and achievements. I did it. <laughs> you, know? you know, the Bible says concerning, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, God had given Nebuchadnezzar all of the nations of the earth. And he became king of kings, king of everybody that was on the, on the planet at the time. Right. And in the, in the known world, he was king of everybody. And he had a dream, and Daniel is there, and he interprets that dream for him. And he's telling them that, you know, you're, you're, if you don't stop with your pride, it's going to bring you luck. And the Bible says that, <laughs> you know, a couple of months goes by, and he, he comes out, and he begins to look at his kingdom. And he says, is not this, this the great Babylon which I've built? <laughs> and the Bible says that but before he could get the words out of his mouth, God, there was a voice that came from heaven, and God judged him right then and there. He, was, he went crazy for, for months, for like eight years, something like that. He went crazy, and he was eating grass like, a, like an animal. And the Bible says that his nails grew long, and his, his hair began to grow like feathers and stuff like that. And he just like, he lost his mind. And then God delivered him. And the Bible says he came back into his right mind. And then his kingdom was restored to him. And he wrote a long letter talking about how God, <laughs> God rules in the affairs of men and all this stuff. I mean, he wrote a long letter to his people. Because, see, God can humble us. You start thinking it's about you. That it was you, you know, you, you got it, you did it all and stuff like that. God can show you who really did it. He showed him, I put you in power, and I could put you down. And he says, he says, God rules in the affairs of men. Pride, again, is a deep pleasure or satisfaction for one's own accomplishments and achievements. It's when you take credit for what God has done for you. In doing so, you are disrespecting God who gives you the power to accomplish things. See, God will not allow you to touch his glory. See, that's why oftentimes he uses, he uses nobodies or people that, that people think are nobodies. Because if you got it all together and stuff like that, God won't even try to use you because you think you got it together already. He'll use somebody that somebody thought they would never be anything. And he'll raise that person up. And then when, they, when you look at me, you be like, man, that had to be God. Because <laughs> you know, that guy, you know, like. And people remember me from my past and be like, I got to be God. <laughs> in Proverbs 22, 4, it says, the reward of humility. That is, I love this in the Amplified, it says, having a realistic view of one's importance. I love that. 
And the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord is it brings riches, honors, and honor in life. If you learn how to walk in humility, God will bless you. In 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, it says, likewise, you younger men, be subject to your elders, right? And it says, in all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. I like it. Clothe yourselves. Put, put humility on. Clothe yourselves with it. For God is opposed to the proud. He is opposed to them. But he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you to a place of honor at the appropriate time. See, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. You know, the Bible says concerning Jesus, because he was willing to stoop so low. God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. See, because he was willing to stoop so. See, he was, he, he, here he is seated in heaven. God, God himself, he was willing to come down here and humble himself to being a regular person. And, and not, not a handsome person, not a wealthy person, just a regular Joe. And the Bible says because he was willing to stoop so low. Allowed himself to, to be, I mean, you're talking about dishonored, disrespected. Allowed himself to be, you know, put on a cross, which was the worst death at the time, the most dishonorable and disrespectful death at the time. I mean, the Bible says, cursed is every man that hangs on the tree. I mean, he was not just, not, not just was it the worst Roman punishment, the worst punishment known to man at the time. You, you mean, we consider cursed of God if you were on a tree. And the Bible says, because he was willing to stoop so low, God has highly exalted him, given him a name that's above any name. See, the, the more you're willing to go down, God will lift you up. But the higher you try to exalt yourself, you'll wind up coming down. It says, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I love that. Now I put here, see, the, the reward of remaining humble and fear fearing God, it will lead you to riches, honor, and life. Now just to be clear, humility is not walking around with your head hanging low, <laughs> saying, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. That's not, that's not humility. That's not, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about, you know. Humility is understanding that you have limitations and that you need God to make up the difference in your life. That's what humility is. It's not having an over-exaggerated opinion or view of yourself. It's knowing that you can't do it, do it all by yourself. It's knowing that you need God. If you have that type of attitude... You'll be walking in what is called the fear of God. See, the fear of God is not shaking in your boots. The fear of God is having a reverential respect for who God is. Who he is to you and for you. That's what, that's what having fear of God is. If you have these things, you'll always walk in God's blessings and favor. You want to walk in God's blessing? Humble yourself. God, I need you. I can't do this myself. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need your direction. You know, I'm not out here trying to just do things on my own. I'm, I'm trying to get direction from you because you have, you know, 
I don't know. If you do that, God will will highly exalt you. But if you don't, you'll be considered an Amorite. (laughs) Person that's full of pride. (laughs) So that's number three. Number four, I got to keep moving here. The Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites, the name in the Hebrew means to be zealous. It means a peddler, a merchant, or a trafficker. Now, it also means to bend the knee. It means to humiliate and to vanquish. It also means to bring down low and to subjection. Now, Hosea chapter 12, verse 7 says this. And this is speaking of the devil, right? I personally believe. But it says, he is a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand. He loves to oppress. (laughs) Now, a peddler is a person who is selling from door to door in the street. That's what a peddler is. A peddler is also defined as a person who tries to promote some cause, candidate, or viewpoint. That clearly speaks of how the way that the devil tries to sell, peddle, and to promote his agenda. See, he uses all kinds of media. See, you know, the Bible says that he's the prince of the powers of the air, right? Specifically, the airwaves, music, television, radio, to promote his agenda. And uh, in order to use, his, use these mediums, he uses his greatest weapon, people. So, you know, he uses all of these different mediums. Now, of course, social media, right? Which is the biggest spreader of agenda probably ever created. And he uses all of these mediums to begin to promote his agenda. You know, he uses, like I talked about, how do you think fear was released on the world? Not not just, you know, not just Jersey, you know. (laughs) Not just America, the world. Media. I mean, it's I mean, it's spread. The devil just like he just spread fear throughout the whole world. Through media. He causes hate through media. You know, now everybody, you know, they hate the police. You know, they hate, you know. This political party or whatever, you know, everything. I mean, everything. I mean, they. I mean, it's promoting agendas, and and through that, see, the devil, you know, he he has us. He has people right where he wants them. News is not news unless it's bad news. That's why you know it got to be the devil. News is not news unless it's bad news. Nobody want, Nobody is putting out anything. You barely see anything good happening. Right. It's all, you know, this person got killed. This thing is happening here. This thing happened. That's all, you, that's all you see. That's because the devil is promoting his agenda. You know, I always personally believe this, and, I, I got, and I'll move from this, you know. One thing that I liked 
back in the 80s, right, was that, you know, as, as African-Americans, right, now I don't talk much about, you know, stuff like this, but I'll just say it. As African-Americans, right, we had, we had shows that, you know, it wasn't just black people selling drugs or whatever, you know, it was, it was you know, the Cosby show where, you know, they had the, the husband was a doctor, you know, she was a lawyer. And, you know, all of the kids went to college, and then they had a spinoff show, and they were all in college and stuff like that. They were at H HBCUs and stuff like different, uh, different worlds, you know. And, you know, so you had these, you had images that were, you know, that promoted, you know, uh, black people just, I mean, being successful, right, outside of sports or music or whatever, you know, or selling drugs or whatever. Now, you barely see no shows like that. Every popular show, you know, powered is, you know, and all this stuff, and they, they doing all of this illegal stuff in these shows and stuff like that, and it paints a picture. See, because if, if they always say this, right? If they want to make something acceptable, they put it on TV first. If they want to create something to be a new norm, they put it on TV first. I remember that right before Barack Obama became president, I watched the show, my favorite show ever was 24. My favorite show. And they, David Palmer, right, was the, he was the first black president. And he was on this show, you know. And I believe that it was used to condition people to receive a black president. You know, because they, you know, and now they're conditioned. I mean, with some all, all these alternative lifestyles, it's all over because they're trying to condition everybody to receive it and accept it. So, but, but, you know, but see, it can be used either way. But see, the enemy start putting this stuff on TV, and then you say, oh, this is all right. This is acceptable. Right? Not even putting it in cartoons. And now the kids are like, oh, this is where it's supposed to be. See, because the devil is in charge of the airwaves. You know, some of these, you know, some, some of these scary movies and stuff like that, they, they are birthed from some of the worst nightmares these directors had. No question. I mean, they, they talk about, you know, like, I saw that in my dream. <laughs> and so some demonic thing came to them in their dream, and they put it on TV. They put it in a movie. So someone else can have nightmares. I mean, it's, a, it's an agenda, man, you know? Now, I know you're looking at me like I'm a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you know, all right, let me get back. Let me, all right. All right. So that's number four, you know, see, the, de see, the devil is a, mer he's a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand. He loves to oppress people. See, and that's, and see again, see that, so that spirit is a spirit of oppression. There's so many people oppressed. You know, when we go down there to, you know, do our food pantry, I see oppression, man. I see the devil oppressing people. And I want, see, I want, and I'm believing God for the, all those beautiful people to be pulled out. The devil try to put you low, man, and keep you there. So anyway, I got to move, man, because I got to get ready to close in a little bit. But that's number four. Number five, the parasites. Now, 
The Imperizites, it means inhabitants of an open country. Unwalled or a town without walls. Unwalled village. It also means to separate or to divide. Now in Proverbs 25, 28, it says, he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. When you don't have control over yourself, <laughs> it's like you have no defenses around you. Now, the parasite speaks of lacking self-control or discipline. Anything goes. There's no boundaries in life. If it feels good, you just do it. Now, the undisciplined person is a slave to his own feelings. They are not in control of their life because their emotions and feelings dictate their mood in life. Whatever they're feeling at the time. It also spoke of being divided, especially in your own life. In other words, the person is not sure which way they should go in life. They're lukewarm. They're both hot and cold. They serve God a little bit and the devil a little bit. <laughs> and remember, they don't have any boundary lines, so they regularly cross over into the enemy's camp and consume their delicacy. See, if you don't, you have to have lines that you won't cross. I'm not going, I'm not going over that line. See, when you don't have lines, they always say, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You got to have boundary lines in your life. I'm not going to mess around with another woman. Right? I'm going to have boundary lines. I'm not crossing that line. Right? There has to be things that you, you say, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not messing around with that. I'm not playing with that. If you don't, you'll go over into the enemy's territory. And the enemy will steal from you. He'll destroy your life. And he'll, if you let him stay there too long, he'll destroy, he'll kill you. See, there's nothing worse than not having defenses. See, see, you know, when they were in the wilderness, the Bible says that they, God for them was a pillar of, of, of uh, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And his, that was symbolic of the presence of God in their life to protect them from the harsh elements of the wilderness. In the morning, the desert was blazing hot. So he was, a, he, was a, he was a pillar of cloud for them to protect them from the burning heat. But at night, it would freeze. So he was a pillar of fire for them to keep them warm. I mean, he was with them every step of the way, right? He, he provided for them. Their natural need. They, he provided manna for them and quail meat so that they can eat. They walked around, traveled with a rock that produced water. As long as they were underneath the umbrella of God's protection, they had everything they need. Let them walk from underneath. And the Bible says that they were, they were taught how to walk with God as a result of that divine move. Because it says sometimes the cloud, is, it lingered. A day, sometimes a week, sometimes a month. But as long as that cloud stayed there, they didn't move. As soon as that cloud started moving, they started moving. See, because again, it was symbolic of God's protection and his provision. And you start moving when God ain't moving, 
you're going to cross over a boundary line and you're going to wind up getting yourself in trouble. Stay within the boundary lines. Don't move unless God is moving. That's why it says, walk, you know, we got to walk with God, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. We, we, we're going to walk with God. Well, it looks like I should go over there, but God's not moving over there. That's why we don't walk by sight. That looks really good, you know, but God didn't say go over there. What he's saying, it sounds really good, but, see God, but God's not telling you to move in that direction. You got to move when God moves. You got to walk with God. You can't do your own thing. You start doing your own thing, you're going to cross over boundary lines, and you're going to get yourself in trouble. If you don't have control over yourself, and you don't have enough on the inside of you to say, you know what? Unless God is telling me to move, I'm I'm staying right here. I'm not crossing that line. I'm not doing that. If God said don't do it, I ain't doing it. And see, that's what they were symbolic of. Open country. No defenses. Just wide open to the attacks of the devil. Because you're not underneath any kind of protection. See, they they that dwell in a secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's your decision to be in a secret place. He's made it available for you. And you can go in there whenever you feel, or you can come out. I feel too limited in this place. You don't let me do anything. You don't let me have no fun, you know? So I'm going to cross over. I'm going to step from underneath the protective shield of the most high. And guess what? I'm out here, you know, I'm in open country. You go out there, you start playing with the devil. All right, let me keep moving. I got to close in a little bit. But that's the parasites. Number six, I got two more to go. You guys, you guys give me a couple of minutes. All right, the Hivites. The Hivites is, is a villager, a life-giving, that is, living place. By implication, an encampment or a village. It means a small town. It also means to give the promise of life. It's a promise, though, but not a true promise. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Here he is living in the palace. He's living. He's in Egypt. He's gone to all the best schools. He gets to a point in his life, he says, I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He found out where he came from. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, I put here, see, the Hivites, like the devil, they make promises to you that they can't keep. They tell you that sins feel good. Sin feels good, so you should do it. But they don't tell you that sin has consequences. (laughs) See, if you serve the devil, he can give you the world. But it will come with a price. It'll come with a price. You know, one thing I've learned, one thing I've learned progressively more and more, right, is that people always equate uh, riches to the blessings of God. 
But you know the devil can give you riches. You know, you know um, when he was tempting Jesus in the garden, he says to him, he says, he showed Jesus all of the kingdoms in the world in a blink of an eye. I mean, just like he showed him everything. And he says, all of this, I'll give it to you if you'll fall down and worship me. He said, because all of this has been given to me. It's mine to give to who I want to. Now, who gave him? Who gave it to him? Adam gave it to him. Because Adam was the little G God of this world. He was in charge. And the Bible says to who you yield yourself, servants to obey, you're, you're a servant to the one you obey. So when he listened to the devil, he became subservient to the enemy. He became his servant by obeying him. And he turned the keys over to this world. And that's why the Bible says that he's the God of this world. So he says, it's, my, it's been given to me, and I can give it to whoever I want to give it to. You, all you got to do is fall down and uh, worship me. If you fall down and worship the devil, he'll give you the world. You have anything you want if you, if you do that. But it's going to come with a price. <laughs> it's going to come with a price. He'll give you the world. But then after this world, <laughs> you will not have eternal life in heaven. That's for sure. And I put here, see, the Bible says that pleasures of sin only last for a season. It can only last for a little while. It's enjoyable until the price tag comes. And I put here, see, have you ever ate at a restaurant and the food was so good, but then the price tag came? <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> and what did you eat, man? <laughs> I put, see, that's what serving the devil is like. <laughs> It all seems good until the prices do. As the scripture says, the wages of sin is death. But when you serve God, he'll bless you. And the Bible says that there'll be no sorrow that's added to it. See, the blessings of the Lord also maketh rich, but he has no sorrow with it. You get, you, you get your riches from the devil, sorrow's coming with it. That's why you got people that are billionaires that are ready to kill themselves. Because they have no peace. They may have a lot of money, but they, that's all they got. I was watching this show, man. All of these kids, they have all these millions, of, not, not just like a little bit of millions, like, million, like, like millions of millions of dollars. I mean, they have everything. They have chauffeurs. You know, they have service in the house and all this stuff. And these guys, this guy is, is he's like 16, 17 years old. He's drinking scotch. Like all day from the time he wakes up, he's drinking scotch and taking pills. And he's depressed. How you got billions? How you got millions of dollars and you're depressed? Because there is a there's a void on the inside of each and every one of us that only God can fill. And and people try everything to fill that void. You can't drink enough. You can't take enough drugs. You can't have enough women or men, whatever your thing is. You can't have enough of it to fill that void. Only God can fill it. And when he fills it, then you have real peace. And then everything else he says is really actually just, he said, I, I just, you know, that's just an afterthought. 
He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. This is added. This is like, this is gravy on the state. This ain't no real thing. This is just, I'll just give that to you. <laughs> you running after this thing, man. He said, you serve me, man. You know, I'll just give that to you. <laughs> and people killing people for that stuff. He said, I'll just give it to you, man. You know, God don't care nothing about that stuff, man. You know, God, they up there walking on streets of gold. You think he cares about you having a gold watch? Something like that. <laughs> that's, that's asphalt in heaven, you know. That's like people killing people over gold. They walking on it. It's the street, you know. So I don't care if you have that. Our economy's built, you know, like they ain't even built on it anymore. I mean, it ain't, dollar ain't even worth what it's printed on. But <laughs> You know, they work walking on it. You think God cares about that stuff? He said, I just want you to serve me, man. But see, you know, you, you play around with the devil, see? He'll make a promise to you that he can't keep. And then payday is due. But again, when you serve God, he'll bless you. And there'll be no sorrow added to it. And the reason why is because the price has already been paid. My last one. I'm going to get ready to close here. Number seven, the Jebusites. My last one. It means to trample. It means to loathe, to tread, to tread underfoot primarily. It also speaks about being polluted. It also speaks of rejection. So the Jebusites... They are representative of the way people will try to pollute you or the devil try to pollute you through rejection. Now, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 4, it says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Now, this is talking about Jesus, right? He has no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. So I don't believe Jesus was some super handsome guy. But I think that was for a purpose. It says, see, it says that there's nothing on the, there's nothing on the outward appearance that we should even desire him. And it goes on to say he is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, Jesus and acquainted with grief. The Lord Jesus. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne, or he has put upon himself our griefs, and he carried our sorrows. <laughs> yet, we did not, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They looked, at, they looked at Jesus and said, oh, God has cursed him. That's why. You know, it's Jesus. Now, you imagine that? Now, see, I want you to understand, see, that, that Jesus came here not just to die for us, for our sins. He also came to, to identify with us and to show us how to live this life. He came to identify, right? So he can't tell you, you know, to get over rejected. Rejection if he was never rejected. He can't tell you to forgive your enemies if he never forgave his. 
Right? He can't tell you to, see, he wasn't, he wasn't going to tell you to do anything that he wasn't going to do. That's why I love Jesus, because he's not a hypocrite. You know, he, he, he came here, he was rejected, he was despised. You know, they didn't treat him right. He came to his own and his own received him now, not. You know, he, he, I mean, he, he, was, he was betrayed by a close friend. He went through all of that. And that's, that's why he can say, love your enemies. Why? Because I love mine. They spitting on me. They put a crown of thorns on my head, cover my head, hit me saying, you know, you're a prophet. Prophesy to me. Tell me who's hitting you. You know, put him on a cross and stuff like that. Beat him unmercifully. And he's on it. And he's on that cross. And he, he's one of his last words is forgive them. They don't know for they don't know what they're doing. So he can never tell you to do that. If he didn't do it. So here he is. He goes, he's, 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 he's despising, he's rejective men. I'm going somewhere with this, right? So the enemy will try to cause you to be polluted by rejection. Because somebody doesn't receive you. And somebody doesn't treat you the way you want to be, be treated. It can pollute you. It can, it can mar you. It can scar you. And you can take that rejection to the next person. That's why people can't have healthy relationships. Because somebody did them wrong, and they go to the next person, not being healed of what happened to them, and they take it to the next person. And if that next person does something, even, even remotely close to that, they, they flip, they react. Because they're still living off that old situation. So because Jesus has been through it, he can teach us how to deal with it. I want you to hear this. Actually, I'm going somewhere with this. Matthew chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Now, Jesus is sending out his disciples. And he says, when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Right? Your blessing. Let your blessings, let your peace come upon that house. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. You know, don't leave your, your peace on an unworthy house. Take it with you. <laughs> and he said, and whoever shall not receive you. Rejection, right? Whoever rejects you. And they won't hear your words. When you depart out of that city, shake off the dust from your feet. Shake the dust off your feet. Now, I want you to listen to this. Now, again. The Jebusites speak of a spirit of rejection, and particularly how that rejection pollute, can pollute you. Rejection mars a person's image, their identity, and their self-worth. I know people that are marred. I, have, I, I was ministering to this young girl. Beautiful. Very beautiful. And she said to me, you know, I don't feel like I'm beautiful. I think I'm ugly. I said, why would you think that? You're very beautiful. Her, her crush when she was a kid told her you're ugly. And ever since then, she believes that she's ugly, beautiful. And I don't care what you tell her, she don't believe it. Because that thing marred her. Somebody has told a kid, you're stupid. You'll never be anybody. You know? 
mothers have told their sons, you're just like your father. You know? Not in a good way. <laughs> you know? Like, you know, I mean, you, you know, you can say stuff to your kids that can scar them. That's why you should never talk down to your children. You always should speak life to them. Always speak. You can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. Because it can mar them. Teachers mar kids with some of the words they say to them. Putting them down. And I put here, see, through this, through this rejection, a person is created. This person is shaped and molded by this rejection. A person can have all of the gifts and talents of the world in the world. They could have all of the talents and all of the, you know, on the inside of them to do great things. But if they don't believe it. And I put it here, see, Jesus experienced rejection and taught us how to deal with rejection when we experience it. He says that if someone doesn't receive us, shake the dust off. That just simply means do not let the dirt of that rejection stick to you. Because it will pollute you. He says shake the dust. So don't even let the dirt of that city stay on you. Shake it off of you and move on. Get rid of it. Don't carry that rejection to the next place or to the next person. Remove it like it never happened. Go to the next place and person clean, free from the stain of that rejection. So you got to become a master at this because the devil will try to pollute you, man. And he'll use experiences that you've been through to try to hinder you from moving forward in life. Now I put here, see, just because the person didn't receive you doesn't mean that someone else won't. Just because one person rejected you doesn't mean that the next person will. Don't stop being a blessing just because someone doesn't see your worth. Don't let the hurt of their rejection begin to weigh on you. Shake it off so you can move forward. And I put it here, see, there are more people that are ready to receive you than there are people that will reject you. Don't miss the right People, because you were rejected by the wrong person. Shake the thing off of you. You know what I'm saying? Don't let that thing stick to you. Don't take it to the next person. Shake it off. Jesus said, don't even, don't even let the dust stay on your shoes. Don't let that thing get on the inside of you. Shake it off. Get rid of it. Before you go to the next place. See, because they know. He, Jesus knew. He's going to go to some house and they're going to say, we don't want to hear that. He said, just let your peace come back on you. They're, they're not, they're, that's all right. They're not worthy of the gift that you have. See, you got a gift of peace on your life. And you're ready to release it on them. You have, you have a gift of love on you. Right? You, you have all of these qualities that are on the inside of you that you're ready to, to give people. And he says, if they don't receive it, don't, don't let, just take it back. That's, that's all right. You ain't got to receive what I got. Take it back. And, get, and, and shake the dust off your feet. And then go to the next person. Ready 
to release your gift again. See, some people won't, are afraid to love again and release their gift of love on somebody because somebody rejected them. And now they keep their love to themselves because I don't want to be rejected. They keep their, their beautiful gift that they have on the inside of them to themselves. I don't want to be rejected again. So I'm not going to put myself in that position. I'm not going to be vulnerable again. Jesus said, I don't want you living like that. Shake that stuff off and go to the next person. All right, I got to get ready to close. But see, these are our enemies that must be kicked out of our life. See, God said he wants us to utterly destroy them. Don't show them any mercy. Because if you let any of them remain, they'll become pricks in your eyes, thorns in your side, and they'll vex you throughout the rest of your life. See, any of these things, rejection, become a prick in your eye. You can't even see clearly anymore. Take your spiritual strength. The devil will, will vex you. Trample all of these enemies under your feet and then begin to enjoy your promised land. Don't allow anything or anyone to hinder you from entering that good place that God has for you. And I put here, see, now that the devil has lost you, his full-time job is to try to get you back. He don't want you to enjoy the good life. He doesn't want you to enjoy God's blessings and promises, and he definitely doesn't want to see you go to heaven. All he wants to see you be is miserable. He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy your life. And then ultimately, he wants to kill you and your dreams. But I put here, if you get rid of all these enemies, he'll not be able to have an open door into your life. And his plans against you won't succeed. He won't be able to pull you back. He will not have an entry point into your life. And you'll be able to enjoy the blessings and favor that God has for you. You'll be able to enjoy that good land that God said he wants to give you. Can you say amen? Give Jesus a praise for his word. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen. Oh, yes. Glory. Lift your hands to the Lord. We're going to get ready to close. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to each and every one of us. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that your people receive that word today. I received it myself. We don't want to let any kind of enemy hinder our success, stop us from being productive, or keep us out of the good land that you promised to give us. And we pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you'll grant us the grace to close up every door and to lock every window, to not give the devil a place, to not allow him to get in in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Grant us the grace to destroy every single enemy that will hinder our success so that we can receive everything that you have for us. We don't want to leave anything on the table. We want everything that you promised us that we could have. We will not let the enemy steal from us destroy our lives and kill us because you said that Jesus came so that we may have life and that we may have life more abundantly 
And Father, for it, we just thank you. We bless you. We give you all the praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Now listen, if you're watching today, you're here. You've never given your life to Jesus. I want to pray for you. While we're in this presence of God right now, I want to pray for you. You can give your life to the Lord right now. If you're backslidden, you need to come back to God, and I want to pray for you as well. If that's you. You're here. You can stand up on your feet, and I'll pray for you. If you're watching online, you can stand up where you are, and I'll pray for you. But we're all going to do this together, and I want everybody to do this with me. I just want you to say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead to make me right with God. Now, Heavenly Father, I accept the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Come into my heart. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's just give Jesus another praise. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. All right, everybody, stand up on your feet. Let me bless you. Thank you for coming out today. My wife and I love you very dearly, and um, we're grateful. And those of you that's watching online, we love you guys as well. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, we are open, so if you want to come, you're more than welcome to come. Thursday, we have service at 5 p.m. If you want to come here, we're open. Or if you want to watch online, all right? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Be merciful, gracious, and kind to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his holy peace in Jesus' matchless name. I want anybody to say, I'm blessed and I can't be cursed in Jesus' name. Amen. You are blessed and you can't be cursed. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. We'll see you Thursday. The Lord bless you. I love you.